Let's wrap up Pacers Summer League. Big picture look at the five guys who have the most at stake on the Pacers roster this season, plus the team's play style and defense. Caitlin Cooper and I break it all down today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, it's all things Summer League with Caitlin Cooper. We get into everything you need to know about the Pacers' defense, Jarris Walker, Benedict Matherin, Isaiah Jackson, Andrew Nemhard, and Ben Shepard evaluating their play out in Las Vegas. Long but very informative conversation. You'll learn a lot and be better off for it. Let's just get right to it with Caitlin Cooper from Basketball She Wrote. Mercifully, the exhibitions are done. The first couple of games were very fun. The last ones were not so fun. Pacers Summer League is over, and it's time to break it all down with someone who I dissed as the savior of the Indiana Fever, the curator of basketball. She wrote, it's Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, I apologize for belittling your ability to save the Indiana Fever franchise. I accept the apology, and how do you know that I actually meant that I was going to be playing basketball for the Indiana Fever? I might have meant I was going to be writing about them, because did you know that I I can type 90 words per minute, Tony? Like, this is an elite skill that the Fever need. I cannot say I've ever timed my typing. This seems like something I should know in my profession. This was something that I timed repeatedly while I was unemployed during the month of February, because somebody made a joke and said they were fast at typing, and because I had no blogs to write, there's a little tool on the internet where you can measure it. And turns out I can type 90. So <laughs> this is the, this is what people are here for. Um, for those who are unaware of what I'm talking about, somebody tried to ask me about Caitlin Clark, how she would help the fever and accidentally said Caitlin Cooper, which was very Pacers Twittery and super funny. And then I replied and said, assume you mean Caitlin Clark. And, uh, Caitlin Cooper here was very, uh, off put by my comment that I assumed the other Caitlin. Uh, very fun interaction. We're here to talk about the Pacers and Summer League and specifically the five players who started the first two games who project to have an actual roster spot on the Pacers roster this season. Perhaps we'll sprinkle in a little more on some other guys. Tyrese Halberton said, looking at this crew, that he was impressed by their activity in those games when we got to see him. Uh, over the weekend and I think that was something that stood out to me defensively but before we dive into little players and things what do you make of summer league in general as an evaluation tool because these guys are it's uh, to me it's more about skills and most players are playing in a role that is not exactly what they'll be playing in fact sometimes very different than they'll be playing in the regular season with the Pacers or whatever team they're on. How do you kind of marry that up, what they're doing versus what their role is versus skills in this setting when evaluating players? Yeah, I mean, I think Jarris Walker is probably the best example of that, right? Like, I think that's probably where we can zoom in and look because of how the roster shook out once Andrew Nemhard was no longer available. He's bringing the ball up the floor. He's being used as an initiator more in ways that I think, you know, you might see in small doses during the regular season, but you're not going to see a lot of. So that kind of put him in some uncomfortable positions, and especially because of the way that um, the Mavericks were defending in general, which, again, we'll get into that when we break him down more specifically. But, like, you know, he's running four or five pick and roll multiple times in most of those last three games, or not the last one because he sat out. But when you watched it, like, the Thunder are chasing over on that. 
that's not going to like if he's doing that multiple times in a game during the regular season, which I don't know how likely that is to occur, but teams are not going to chase over Jairus Walker and allow him to get to his little floater. They're either going to switch or they're going to duck under and force him to hit a pull up too. So you have to look at those things with kind of broad strokes and kind of put on your projection hat and determine like, is what I'm seeing something that's actually going to be likely to happen later on. And in some regards with some of the stuff that we saw, I think that we can probably look at his summer league in a little bit better light because I think he was a bit overtaxed from what um, we're going to be seeing from him during the regular season. I agree. I want to start with him anyway because he was the most interesting guy for me to break down. But Ty's exact quote was, summer league environment makes guys do things they won't normally have to do. I think Juris is looked at and other guys are looked at to score more or do different things than they won't have to do during the season and stuff like that. That's the good part about being a a young guy in the NBA. You get to experiment. Um, And on Jarrett specifically, he said, you see his activity defensively. He's a special player. That's where I would start with Jarrett Walker is the defensive activity. And we can get to some of the, we will get to some of the low points in terms of his offensive efficiency and things like that. But, you know, this was the standout skill to me scouting him was, like he just blew up plays sometimes and his rotations were crisp and he's really quick despite being huge and all this chatter from Chad Buchanan and broadcasters about it. Is he a linebacker or a defensive back? Well, he's huge and quick and that's why they're talking like that. Um, what stood out to you about him on the defensive end and how he was able to both guard his own man and be a significantly strong part to me of their team defense construct? Right. So, I mean, I think even during the pre-draft process, something that went underrated about him that I think now everybody's been introduced about is that a lot of his success on the defensive end has to do with his hands and not in a way that, you know, you're defending with your hands instead of your feet and you're getting whistled for a lot of fouls. His hands are just very sly and incredibly quick. Um, Some of the plays he was able to make, like with guards bringing the ball up in transition and just to poke away, he gets away with a lot of gambles and stuff that you would tell other players not to do but his skills allow him to be able to do it. So that showed up, I thought, really quick in the first two games. Also, like the emergency blocks he can make as in weak side rotation. And then in some of the minutes, at least defensively, when he was playing with Isaiah Jackson, like there was one moment where he and Ben Shepard kind of had a miscommunication. And they both ended up on ball being Jairus and Ben. And because Isaiah Jackson's back there on the back line, like it's okay. So like that was true for both of them in the reverse. Like, oh, this is what having a secondary rim protector on the floor looks like <laughs> instead of constantly having to play with like four tiny guards. So that showed up pretty quickly. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I think that Jairus has pretty good feel on that end of the floor. If I had to say anything on the negative side, I think he did have a little bit of slippage in the game against the Thunder um, in part because he was playing a little bit more at the five. In the minutes that he played at the five, I wasn't as convinced of some of what he was doing defensively because they weren't playing him in drop like they were with Isaiah and Toshibwe. So he was predominantly switching out, and then they had a lot of problems when they were switching those pick and rolls, particularly in the second half with Chet Holmgren at the five, where now we're just throwing it to a seven-foot dude and he's easily dropping it into the hole or Jairus was getting beat on the perimeter by switches. So I did have some questions headed into summer league and I really wanted to see that. So it's a good thing that they did it. Like how would he hold up against, you know, speedier ones if he had to switch out to the ball? And that was a little bit touch and go. Did you just undersell Chet Holmgren's height? Is that the first time that's ever happened? (laughs) I couldn't remember what the exact number was. So I just went with seven foot. (laughs) He is. That's funny. Um, Yeah. The the thing that, stood out to me and this is like a very broad strokes way of describing it is it felt like he was always around the play like even when he wasn't guarding someone involved in the action the way he's like active and knows where to be and 
his angles and his speed allow him to get back to his man. Like I felt like he was always around the action or around the play in a way that let him be disruptive and effective, especially when he was at the four specifically with that team that started the first two games. And really he was at the four in the third game a lot as well. And I think that is impressive and going to be potentially helpful for the Pacers. I mean, I don't know what that's going to look like in the NBA. This is summer league games, but I think that activity um, is what stood out to me is that he's never like out of a play. He never was dead in the water or invisible. He always found a way to, to blow something up or to, to help slow something down or just rotate in a way that made everybody else's life easier. And so even though I, I do agree that he had moments of, okay, maybe guards won't be a, a thing that you want to stick him on right away or you'll have to be cautious about switching at times. I still walked away mostly thinking positively about what he did on the defensive end. I mostly walked away thinking defensively that they just have a lot more options for the reasons that I just said, like yep. just envisioning him playing with Miles Turner and the different things that you'll be able to do there. Or, you know, if, if they do want to play him at times and small ball arrangements, like they just have a lot more defensive versatility than what was possible at the back end of last season. So on one hand, he had some nice playmaking moments. They were letting him run pick and rolls with the ball in his hand. He threw some lobs. He had some leak out dunks. Uh, The creation upside that a lot of people talked about leading up to the draft. Yeah, you could see why people thought that. On the other hand, Caleb, let me, just for emphasis, I know you know it, read you the shooting splits Jairus Walker just had in summer league games. Uh, He shot 34.3% from the field, 17.9% from three, and 44% percent from the foul line as a math major from college i am inclined to say small sample size small sample size small sample size um trey young was abysmal in his summer league as an efficiency perspective like it's just these it's, it's four games we're not talking about a ton of shots here it was interesting to look at his offense though and what they were asking him to do and what he was capable of in that you know i thought his passing was good i thought his handling was solid they let allowed him to be the one at times. They allowed him to play the five at times on offense. He was also obviously the four quite a bit. And the same kind of, again, this big strokes where activity stood out about him in ways that I was impressed by, but the actual shot making wasn't there. And I, on one hand, yes, that's an extremely small sample and he'll have a much smaller role actually finishing plays with the Pacers in the regular season. On the other hand, it has to matter to some extent. What did you make of his play on the offensive end? I don't think that the setup of the roster was ideal either when everyone was available and when they weren't available. Um, He made some nice like shuffle passes to Isaiah Jackson at times. And I will be honest enough to say, I did not expect going into summer league that I would see Jairus Walker dribbling off a double drag and finding Isaiah Jackson on the roll and assisting him in that way. I think Isaiah missed it, but the pass was on target. But when you're playing him with Isaiah Jackson, you're having to space Jairus Walker. When you're playing him with Toshibwe, you're having to space Jairus Walker. So in my head, and a lot of the times when I was watching that, I was just trying to imagine, like, how would this look differently if he was playing with Jalen Smith? And it's not because Jalen shot the three incredibly well last year. Clearly he didn't. But at least he can shoot the three. So we might have gotten to see Jairus do a little bit more as the screener because some of the plays that I thought he was most successful in, like a couple times after timeouts, they ran, like, um, a twirl stagger where Ben twirls the first screen and then Jarris would flip around as the first screener and go get the ball. And then it'd be a fake keeper and he'd attack downhill and get to the rim. Like the more they can use Jarris with fake DHOs, I think that's really going to help what his, he can be a little bit wobbly when he just has to attack in straight lines as the ball handler. 
So those types of moments are using him as a screener. Like at Houston, he only finished three shots as the role man. So I was really hopeful that because Andrew was playing, that we might get to see Jarris in the pick and roll a little bit because his wingspan is, you know, he has seven foot two wingspan. He's a very forgiving catch radius, but then that really, you couldn't really do that with the bigs that were available. And then when he was at the five and after Ben and Andrew weren't playing anymore, well, now we need him to be bringing the ball up the floor because we literally don't have really any other guards who are pure creator initiator type players. So we didn't really get to see him do that type of stuff. As far as the shooting goes, like I don't think we should be that surprised by that because Zach Milner, um, who has worked in scouting and, and con- scouting consulting, has a database that I looked at prior to where he tracks NBA range threes for all the prospects. And Jarrett shot 25% at Houston on NBA range threes and like 20% from the corners. So I wasn't really expecting him to be a knockdown shooter. He had a couple okay moments where he went to like the pick and pop and hit one. Some of it was a little bit too many stare down threes. I didn't love his shot selection across the last couple games, but I think the most telling moment with him offensively was when Jared Dudley, I don't know if you got to hear it, but did you get to hear Jared Dudley's mic'd up segment when he was like, he was coaching and they During were interviewing the game. Yeah. What well, can we complain about that before yeah. we actually talk about it? Why are we doing that? What? This is like, like, I get that it's an exhibition that doesn't matter for anything, but like, this is a real game and like people's careers are involved in this. Hey guys, short little break here so I can talk to you about prize picks. It's daily fantasy made easy. The, the concept, super simple. Pick a player. Well, they go over under on their prize picks projection. Well, Mike Trout of more or less than one and a half hits. For example, you can do that with two to six players. You can up to 25 times your money on any entry. It's not you versus other people. It's you versus prize picks projections. They offer projections on any sport you watch, NBA, NFL, MLB, etc. You can make your picks in a minute or less. So it's easy. It's safe. It's fast to withdraw your money, and it's operational in over 30 states plus Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com and sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKDOWN. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. You deposit $50, they'll give you $50, but you got to enter the promo code LOCKDOWN and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 at PrizePix Daily Fantasy. Made easy. Yeah, it was a little bit much, but there was one informative moment where they asked him, what do you mean by shrink? And he was like, well, Jairus Walker's a very, you know, like you said, linebacker, he can put the ball on the floor. They're having him initiate. So whenever he has the ball, we want to bring everybody off of all the other shooters other than Ben Shepard. That's our game plan going into this. And you could see it like they were sinking on every drive. So that pushed him out to the perimeter and let him to be a little bit more of a creator than what he would have had to be at the other games. And like some of the shots that he was taking, there was one where he saw two people at the elbow and he still took like a mid-range pull-up too and Ben was open, you know, five feet from him. So I think overall his feel and his processing to make quick decisions, like what you mentioned, like the quick touch pass or the one that he did behind the back right away when he knew where the next person was as a connector is good. But I all actually didn't love some of his shot selection as far as what his feel was. And maybe that was just him knowing like, you know, I'm in a bigger role now because of who is and isn't available. Maybe he was being told to really look for his own offense. But um, I think some of why his efficiency wasn't good is because of what role he was in and because some of that should probably be expected because I just don't track him that much as like a guy who's going to be doing that much initiation and pushed out to the perimeter to the degree that he was in those games. Okay, a few things while I'm still thinking about what you just said. One, Zach Miller, A-plus dude. Two, his database uh, said Ben Shepard was amazing at NBA threes at Belmont last year. I think he was in like the top five in terms of percentages. Okay, three, to blend that all together, what's, what's something interesting about 
the way they w- were using Jarris on offense is it was kind of like a blend of every role he had played in the last like two or three years, like including high school, where he was like in his junior year, he was literally a point guard, right? He was he took the ball up and initiated plays in IMG. And then his senior year, they were like, all right, you're a toss player. Play the five. It's like, huh? And then in college, he was clearly a four. And these are like not, you know, the, the position itself isn't totally relevant. But, you know, he, he just did a lot of different things. And that was something that kind of stood out to me, especially as it transitioned from game to game is when he when the when the other guys went out, you know, Mather and Nemhard and them, um, is his transition from being more of that four or five, not the ball as much type, you know, making those quick decisions when he would catch it like you were describing to being the lead initiator. I don't think we'll see hardly any of him doing that yeah. during this coming season. I, like, I would be stunned if it's more than just garbage time, honestly. But I think the the standout thing to me is even on his shots that weren't going in, I talked about this at the first game. It's like when he caught when he caught it and he was open from three, he shot right away. There was like very little hesitation involved. It's slower because his release isn't like the fastest thing ever. But in general, his quick decision making is is part of what makes him at least have some value as a creator going forward. So uh, I agree the shot selection will be something to monitor when he's playing real games, but he won't be shooting as much also with the NBA Pacers. And I think that um but I think that his decision making to me and the in the you know the half second rule the Spurs have, whatever, I think he's gonna be good at that stuff. And that's gonna make him click with this group that plays fast and plays random, is that he can make the decision quickly. He reads what's going on quickly and makes a good play or the right play a lot of the time. And so even if the shots aren't going in, I think he can be additive to their system. And I walked away feeling pretty good about that after the games. Yeah, because I mean they even they let Jordan Wara, one of my favorite plays that they ran their chin for, they let Jordan Wara run that, you know, one or two times a game, even with Andrew and TJ McConnell shouldering most of the point guard duties where you'd get to see him do a four or five pick and roll. So I don't I won't say that it wouldn't happen at all. It's just not gonna happen on the volume that we just saw it be in. And to your point about the quick shooting, I thought there was a few times where he kind of played with his food probably a little bit more than I would have liked. But in terms of like catch and shoot, it's more so that he just has to be very square when he lets the ball go. And then some of the shots he was leaning um, and he fading. He starts it low, so he almost has to sometimes, you know? Yeah. it's. I mean, it's kind of like some of the post up. Like he only posted up, I think, maybe twice in these four games that he played in. But the one, it was like, okay, why didn't you just use a drop step? And then the other one, you know, you don't really want to see him fading and then falling down on one against the switch or you know if he has a small be dribbling up to the elbow for a pull-up too instead of you know using that physicality but that's kind of been a talking point like once again I think his numbers almost shook out where I can look really quick I think he almost attempted more runners than he did shot nope yeah I mean it was close 11 runners 16 shots at the rim so that's still going to be a little bit of an ongoing thing as to why you know his physicality doesn't always match his physique is the thing that was still there. But I think overall you have to feel pretty positively for the reasons that you said. I mean, I think Miles Turner had a quote where he referred to him kind of like Thad Young and that, you know, he's a utilitarian player. You can do a lot of different things with him. And I think that's, that's what he showed. Agreed. Unless you have anything else, I will ask, should we pivot to the other rookie or one of the returnees? Let's do it. It seemed like he was very polarizing, which I didn't fully understand. <laughs> uh, Shepard, you mean, um, yeah. Yeah, we have to be clear to everyone that Shep is Ben Shepard and Ben is Ben Matherin. Um, yeah, he was interesting to me because on the offensive end, it felt like 
a lot of his productive scoring moments or efficiency moments came in like three halves. The second half of the last game, the second half of the Dallas game, and the first half of who did they play second? The Magic? The Magic. Um, that was like his flurry of scoring. But uh, something I put in my notes, I think every game but one, is his foot speed on defense always was something that stood out to me. Like he was like not like literally he was fast, just like his ability to cover space and chop his feet and be around his defender or his man were impressive, even though obviously everybody wants to see better shooting. But he ended at 38.7%. Like I wouldn't say I thought he'd be more because the thing that stood out to me when he wasn't having one of those good halves is he he was the guy that I felt like, oh, I didn't even realize Ben Shepard was in the game more than any other player. Like he definitely had some invisible moments. Basically the whole first game, it felt that way. But when you could tell he was in the game, I felt like he was pretty good and the threes were going and he was basically as advertised in that way. What did you make of what he did and did not do? Yeah, I mean, I think there were a few times where maybe he faded into the background, especially in the first game. But I think what's that was kind of a surprise for me because when you watched his games at Belmont, he was kind of the exact opposite of that. And that, yeah, he was very high usage, but he was very good at finding his own usage. Like Belmont didn't run a ton of set plays for him. He's very good at looping, sliding into passing windows, making himself available. And I think some of that still showed up early. He just didn't always get the touches on them. And then also like, he's a very intuitive cutter. He overdid it a few times where like, you know, if Andrew or Jarris is driving baseline, you need to stay anchored to the corner. And he wanted to cut from the corner and that kind of created some traffic problems a couple times, but he's not super explosive as a cutter. So when he catches those passes, there were times where like, I made this great cut. And if somebody was more explosive than me, they might be able to take the shot, but I have to take a dribble and now continue the advantage, which I mean, I think does speak well of him that he can attack a closeout and make a pass. It just isn't going to lead to a shot. So it does kind of lead to those moments where you don't fully remember some of the stuff that he did. But in the times when he got shots, which he was kind of the reverse of Jairus Walker in that when Andrew and Ben went out, they ran more set plays for him. Like they were running the baseline stagger screen, the screener player, they were running veer, they were running the play out of the Iverson set where they use, you know, a pin the tag veer to get him shots off of movement and other stuff. So he became a little bit more visible, whereas before he was kind of just playing off of those advantages and trying to have to find his own shots. But um, he made shots in a wide variety, like what you just said, like in that game against Dallas, he made one coming off a screen. He made one stepping into a shot in transition. He made a really good one in rhythm of one dribble pull up. He made an escape dribble three going uphill, like having guys that can make shots like at Belmont. He scored 1.1 points per, per possession off of off the dribble threes, catch and shoot threes and off screen threes. By the end of this, I think you felt pretty decent about him as a shooter, especially adjusting to NBA range and defensively I agree with you I think he had some really standout moments on that end where it wasn't a steal it wasn't a block but in terms of like hey I just leveled that guy off and now I'm switching and I'm leveling another guy off and I'm using my length and I'm walling up he drew my attention it's kind of I felt similarly very early in the year last year when Andrew Nemhard played that game against Philly he hadn't played very many minutes he came in and he defended James Harden and they kind of cut into what was a really big lead and I was like hey that's something. I think that this <laughs> defense is going to come along here. Like I wouldn't put it on that level. Cause obviously Ben wasn't defending any NBA all-stars at summer league, but there were some moments where I was like, that might be something. Has an all-star ever played at summer league? Is that a thing that's ever trying happened? to think if any rookies have ever made an all-star team and then shown oh, up yeah. for the second year, I kind of doubt it, but 
And they couldn't also be on an international team because that, that influenced some of the rookies playing this year. Uh, yeah, I. so it's interesting you talk. Okay, sorry. Let's go back through. the one. There was actually one play that encouraged me the most about Ben Shepard. He didn't score on the play. And I can't remember which game it was from. So clearly my memory is amazing. It was either the fourth game or the fifth game. He caught it on the left wing, kind of close to the left corner. And he shot faked. And he got his man in the air. And he drove to the basket. And two guys rotated to him under the rim and he realized it and made a beautiful little touch pass to Kendall Brown Mm -hmm. who smoked the layup, which ruined it. But that moment I was like, Oh, okay. He's got the read on the rotations in a way that, you know, when you think of guys as scorers, you don't think about that as much, but like if he knows where the ball should go, if a defense over rotates to him or overcorrects, because he's going to be able to run guys off the line. That I think is encouraging for me for his, long-term offensive upside, especially if he's just going to hit, you know, 36 plus percent of his threes. That one play really stood out to me defensively. Yeah. I like, there were some moments that I thought were good. Like I mentioned earlier, but I still was kind of, I still don't really know what to make of him on the end of the floor, but that one play really stood out to me in a way that I was like, okay, I see what this guy can be. Cause I always wonder that with every shooter type coming into the pros, what can they be if they, they get run off the line every single possession that they have the ball. Like I watched a lot of Grady Dick moving inside the arc stuff when I was watching him because I wanted to know what that would look like. And it was very encouraging. And I hadn't seen a ton of Ben Shepard in general. So I wanted to see that kind of stuff. And it's one play through five games, but that one pass made me go, okay, I think he can get this at some point. I think that was an important play for him. Yeah, I mean, he's not Grady in that he's not going to use, like, a shot fake from the left corner, put the ball on the floor, and have, like, flexible air to find the 45. Like, that's not something Ben's going to do, but he can continue advantages. If he tacks a closeout, he can find the next place. And and I think that he does anticipate stuff pretty well, too. Like, I pointed out a possession even when he was at Belmont where, like, he reads, like, I'm going to be able to take advantage of nail help. I'm going to do a wing exchange. I'm going to move up there. Now I know that the guy's going to, you know, my defender's going to collapse because that's an isolation and they're going to need help. So I'm going to slide back down into the corner because that's going to make for a longer closeout. He thinks ahead of the next play, ahead of where the next defensive rotation is going to go pretty well. Um, I do think that you point out a good thing that, or a astute point in that his offense inside the arc in terms of his finishing, like especially when he was in transition, I think showed up that his ability to finish against physicality or help really wasn't there. Um, sometimes his handle was a little bit further out than you would want it to be. But I think overall, I was probably felt more positively that about him than what I was seeing on Twitter at times during the games. Um, and I think it's going to matter for him much like Jairus that he's, he's mostly just going to be asked to play off of advantages. And I think he's capable of doing that. It was kind of funny a few times. Cause you could see that stuff that was ingrained in him from Belmont's motion offense, whereas when they made a pass, they were supposed to immediately screen away for the next nearest guy. There was times where he would like go and do that. It was kind of similar with Jairus too. Like he was so used to playing in Houston scheme where they were blitzing ball screens that when he was defending, sometimes he wasn't like fully switching. He was about like going to step out on the screen and that lead led to, some messed up switches. So kind of what you pointed out there too with Ben, like there were times where he he messed up the coverage and there'd end up be two on the ball or he didn't he didn't switch when he needed to be. But when he did actually execute the switches, I thought he was more physical than I expected swimming the post and trying to deflect some passes on the interior. So that was good to see. Yeah, those defensive mistakes did. I had trouble walking away with a good evaluation of what I felt like he'll be defensively just because it was like an equal number, I would say, of like, hmm, good and hmm, bad plays. That's a poor way of describing what I mean, but just I don't I don't know what to make of that. 
Um, also, every player who comes out of motion, the first real basketball team I played on my whole life, we ran motion, and our coach the whole game would just yell screen away over and over again, like every time you passed. So every time I hear the motion offense, I think of him just going, Tony, screen away. <laughs> and then I had to run to the corner. <sighs> motion. Ben was also one of the most aggressive people I've seen um, crashing the offensive glass. And sometimes that helped their transition defense because the Pacers over the last two years have been a lot more aggressive sending people on missed threes, even from the wings. And we're kind of seeing that like in addition to the NBA, like gaming possessions and wanting to get more possessions than their opponent, it's actually kind of starting to help transition defense because you have to plug those gaps. So there was one really impressive one where he crashed from the wing off a miss from Jarris in the left right corner and that prevented OKC from leaking out. And then Chet Holmgren went to be like a grab and go big and, and Shepard pressured him all the way up the court and then walled up. He missed it and then actually got the back tap over um, Chet. And that led to a cherry pick easy two for Jarris at the other end. So I thought he did have some standout moments like that. Like that's not really going to get marked down necessarily as anything. Cause I don't even know if they necessarily counted that as a rebound, but um, it, it caught my eye. Five offensive rebounds, same number as Jarris. Only two guys ahead of him were Shibway and Isaiah Jackson. So, hey, there you go. Uh, which returnee would you like to start with? Let's start with Ben. Why don't we go there? Okay. Who I thought this was the most polarizing re- be remain as Ben. I thought this was the most polarizing player. I wonder if we're going to have the same opinion here. I'll let you go first. I'm going to okay. let you go first. Okay. Well, we all have the same thought. Like you, I think you, I forget what your tweet was about his passing in the second game where there were moments when he was driving into three guys and trying to do the Ben Mather and like, I'm a really good isolation score. I want to get to the rim stuff where you were thinking, ah, you, not you, you, like you person was thinking like, oh man, he's got to be able to get that ball to someone else. Like the decision making is not where you want it to be. But he also had six assists in the second game. And even here's the thing about that, that number I just said. I think five of them, I jotted them all down, were either he just made the extra pass or he made a dump off in the post. Those are still good assists for Ben Matherin to be getting at this stage of his career. Just like understanding what he needs to be doing in an offensive set kind of moment, even though they're not like he did all this work to create a shot. All the dump offs, I guess he did. Like So the passing part of this, I wanted to see more from him in that way. But... I still like, okay. I thought his defense was better than I thought it would be. The very first possession of all summer league, him and Jarris Walker defended a pick and roll very well. I thought he did well in that way. He was not turning it over a ton. He was solid enough on the glass. Like, I thought he did a, some little stuff pretty well, even though I think the big thing that I wanted to see from him, which was a little more passing, and like Chad Buchanan said that on the broadcast of their, gosh, doesn't matter. One of the games they played after all their guys were done. Chad Buchanan was talking about how they wanted him to be better this year at when he does attack the rim, which he's so good at passing it to somebody else or creating for somebody else. You know, I didn't think we saw a lot of that, even though I thought there was some stuff he did well in general throughout his week there. I'll pull up the quote while you're talking. Okay. So (laughs) that's never a good start. I think I walked away from Ben thinking, and people are going to probably get angry with what I'm about ready to say. And I want to use a lot of qualifiers here, but do you remember when you would watch Joe Young play for the Mad Ants when he would go on assignment? Did you watch those games? I remember a couple of them, but not anything specific. I want to be really clear with what I'm about ready to to delineate. Ben is on a 
completely different tier of player and potential than Joe Young. I completely understand that. But you would watch, and when Joe Young would go there, it was like he was just working off rust. It was just him getting reps, and he would get up, you know, 20 shots. And and as far as him, like, developing skills as a point guard, which is what position he was going to have to play because of his size, he wasn't working on facilitation skills. The defense really wasn't coming along. And I felt similarly about Ben. Like, the three things that we kind of needed to see at Summer League, which was his overall recognition defensively. I did think he had a couple standout impressive plays. I really liked the one where he chased Johnny Davis around some off ball screens and then squared him up and then dove for a loose ball and was really getting after it. That was impressive. I pointed that one out, but I still don't think like when he's veer switching, I think they were trying to create an easier trigger that, Hey, if you're chasing over a screen and you're not back in front, by the time the ball breaks the free throw line, then you veer and run the seam in front of the roller there was like three possessions in a row where he didn't do that. And he kind of just left Isaiah Jackson to carry the bag that included on the pop as well as the role, like still making those types of mistakes, his catch and shoot numbers, which we need to see. I mean, especially depending upon what the starting lineup next year is. And if he's going to start, he shot 23% on jump shots at summer league. And some of them were just too many, like kind of similar with Jarris, like some stare down ones that, you know, it, it needs to be quicker. Like his first inclination is his gene is to catch and drive. That's what he wants to do. So instead of taking the initial shot against a short closeout, he kind of holds it and then it leads to some double clutching. I don't really think that he corrected that. And then, yeah, he had six assists in that game. And it was good to see, like, especially what you said, like the extra pass to Ben Shepard in the corner, the extra pass to Andrew Nemhard when the ball swung all the way around and he, he realized he recognized and was willing to do that. Like that's good. But the main thing for him as a passer is he has to start processing kickouts as a driver. Teams are going to load yes. up on him next year, especially if he's not hitting the jump shot, there's going to be every incentive in the world to load up on him when he attacks closeouts, especially if the other two people in the starting lineup are Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin, there's going to be even more reason to do that. So there was too many times where he's drawing help and he's trying to beat the help instead of, getting the ball to the other side of the floor. And I was looking at some numbers yesterday, just briefly. I haven't gone and scoured every pass that he's made, but he had one play where he drove from the left corner. Like he drives left on probably 60% of his drives because he loves to use the jab and go. He jabs right, goes left, and, and he's very effective at that. But he drives left, so he's in the left corner. He loves to drive left going baseline. He goes, he draws the second defender, and he tries to muscle up that shot anyways. And meanwhile, on the weak side, like he doesn't read the weak side zone and notice, hey, Kendall Brown's cutting from the 45. That's going to collapse it, and I just only have to make that short pass to Shepard in the corner. Like he has to be able to start seeing those things. And like that's what we just talked about with Grady Dick. Like Grady Dick has that flexibility in the air under the basket where he can read that next chain and find that 45. And part of me wonders, like, can Ben just not make a pass with his left hand? Because I started looking. I literally went on a search for this and looked for kickouts that he made last year from the left corner, and I only found two that he threw to the right side of the floor. And when he did, it was like he had to get back middle, use a Euro step, and push it with his right. So I don't know if it's that he's not recognizing it, if he doesn't trust the velocity he's going to get on the ball to make the pass, and maybe that's him being protective. Maybe he's thinking, like, I don't want to get a live ball turnover. I can't get it over there, so now I'm just going to try to muscle up through these. But it seems more like a mentality. So I think in the three things that we needed to see, he still did some nice things as a scorer. He led the team in scoring. Like, we know he can do that. I just wish he would have recognized more what his optimal role for these games could have been, which is – 
Like, hey, try some stuff as a passer. Even if you get turnovers, I personally don't care. I just want to see that you attempted to move the basketball. So I felt about Jarris Walker's efficiency. It's like, I just want to see you shoot the ball. <laughs> like, get it up. <laughs> get it above the rim. Yeah, I agree with all that. And <clears throat> it was interesting. So at first it was funny because, like, I think his first one or two times he went against, like, three guys, it was like the end of the shot clock. And the other team's just like, well, we know he can't. He's not going to pass out of this. So let's just send three guys to him. Uh, let me pull. Okay, here are the quotes exactly that I wanted to highlight. One was Chad Buchanan on the broadcast. He said, he's very good at getting to the rim and drawing fouls. We want to see some more elements of him driving to the rim and making plays for others. The yep. other thing he added was consistently shooting the ball, becoming that really locked in defender. Like, I think they view the next growth for Benedict Mather in the same way that everybody does. And the thing about those skills specifically is, that, that will make him pair significantly better with the guy they just invested $260 million into. And that's why I think seeing those skills would have been so important. And those extra passes, like ho hockey assist Halliburton, that's his new nickname this year, I just coined that, is like going to allow for that to be a thing he does a lot. So those are still encouraging moments, even though I still think he's got ways to go in growing those skills. The other one, and I kind of want to hear what you react to this. I don't know if you listen to the post-game media press conferences I don't by chance, but uh, after the second game, General Pargo was asked about Matherin and what he was talking to him about and all sorts of stuff like that. And he said, I tried to explain to him that within the game, there is ISO situations that don't look like ISOs. That's the way for him to be successful. When he's holding the ball, when he's jabbing at the defense getting set, it makes it really tough on him and us as a team. And then he explained that like pick and roll can become an ISO situation, for example. Other ones just organically pop up through the framework of a possession. That's the kind of that that like kind of made it click for me where it's like, okay, that is where Ben can be his best is those organic situations that become ISOs instead of kind of forcing them like it felt like he was. So I, I agree that there were some encouraging moments, but that was the quote that rang with me of like, that's his next evolution is figuring out where those moments are and how he can improve his game from a shooting passing perspective from those moments. I thought that was really well said by Fargo. Yeah, because I mean, I think that the best ones <laughs> last year when he was in isolation situations were like, hey, I'm playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. They switched Jarrett Allen out to the ball. I recognize that I have this switch. I pass it ahead to Tyrese, and then I get it back in a boomerang play, and I take a one dribble three and force Jarrett to back up, and I shoot. Rather than none of that happens, I just feel like I have a play. I'm, I'm jabbing. I'm holding. I'm double clutching. It's a stare down, and now I finally let it go. Like that's an important differentiation. It's still a shot from the exact same spot on the floor, but it's how you're getting it in a better rhythm that matters. So, I mean, that's what's funny is like he did some of those things during the regular season, and then he really wasn't doing them at summer league. And it was similar. Like he was very good attacking in transition last year and drawing contact. And there was a few times during these games where it was like he was going with the drag the toe to slow down and his single leg strength at times where it was pretty clear that he needed to like use a Euro step on the finish. And, it, and even his decision-making there wasn't quite where it was at the end of the season. So I, I kind of left, like I, w I won't feel low on Ben. Like I still think he has a lot of potential. I liked that the Pacers picked him. I liked a lot of what he did last year during the regular season. I just didn't feel like I noticed anything specifically that was like, Hey, that's an improvement from what we saw at the end of last season because they're still trying to throw the ball to him in what they call early. So you'd see Andrew throw it to him in that Kobe Jordan spot several times during this. And the goal that the Pacers are looking for there is they want him to be able to create a shot within two seconds of catching it. 
And he's still going to the step back two in a lot of those circumstances instead of, you know, being able to put the ball on the floor and get somewhere with it. And eventually they want to be able to move him out to three and he can create a shot that quickly there. Like it's about making what you just said with Pargo, but like, I, can you look at those two summer league games and say, Hey, that's, that's a thing. Like other than being willing to swing the ball and make an extra pass that you're like, I, that's a definite improvement from where he was at the end of last season. I would maybe say defensively actually. Yes. I think that was pretty touch and go. Interesting. Yeah. That, but yes, in general, I agree with you. I thought his defense was the thing that I was like, okay, maybe that's the stride. And maybe that's just because that's what he was saying the most about what he wanted to be good at in terms of his growth. And he always talks about that best two-way player thing. But that's the side of the ball I thought he took a step forward on if I had to pick one, obviously. But yes, in general, I think I get why his summer league is going to be talked about the way it was. Can I can I gripe for a second? This is of unrelated course. to anything he did. I love a rant. Okay. Ben Matherin, would you say he had a good summer league last year as a rookie? Yes, I yeah, would. Yeah, I would too. And he's not as great summer league this year. Which one matters more? Because last year that meant he was going to be awesome. But this year that doesn't mean he's going to be awesome. So why does one summer league matter more than the other summer league? I think it might only matter in the sense that it's kind of like, and I think that Ben has a much higher ceiling than what was possible with Chris Duarte, but that there's a year of scouting report on Benedict Matherin and that we are like teams are going to use shorter closeouts against him. Teams are going to load up on his drives. And he started seeing some of that at summer league this year in a way that kind of like with Jairus, like what I just said about him and the thunder and how they went over on every pick that he used like there's no scouting report on Jairus Walker. People are just reacting in real time and chasing over on a screen. The same was the case with Ben last year. Like now we have viable information and the reality is going to be different from him beginning on day one of the opening season next year. So um, I think that would probably be the biggest difference for me. My other mini ranter would be people talking about his efficiency because if he made one more three, just one, He would have shot better from three than he did last year during the season. It's like, okay, the sample size is so small. Like, I don't. Sure, but I mean, he did shoot 31% on catch and shoots last year. So that's not a very high bar. Like, that's got to improve. It does. does. Yeah. The context of the stuff he needs to be better at to pair well with Halliburton was not an encouraging part of his summer league, I would say. You know, did have a really good summer league, Caitlin. You know, the, you know, the player that uh, Tyrese Halliburton told us that he told, Pritchard and Buchanan after the first game that he said, this guy's too good for this. Andrew Nemhard. Andrew Nemhard had a great summer league, I thought. He was too good for it after one quarter. He <laughs> played one quarter, and I was like, he played the entire first quarter, and I was like, he doesn't need to play anymore. <laughs> yeah, he he did. Uh, the thing that stands out to me about him being so good is that this is the position he played for a lot of life. I mean, he did down the stretch when their goals of the season changed, but like, Last year, and Hal Burton described this well, like he was doing whatever he could to get on the floor and play and be a useful piece. And then in summer league, it's like, okay, this is the natural thing you did so well at your whole basketball career, really. And he was really fantastic for them uh, in basically every way. I thought the shot creation was brilliant with the with the way he was able to set up his teammates. I thought he was more efficient getting to that shot he likes kind of near the elbow. I thought his defense was really good. I thought the way he set the table for the team in general on offense is like a floor general is really good. What that means for the context of the regular season Pacers who have this other guy, TJ McConnell. I don't know if you've heard of him. I don't know, but I thought he was very good. It was very clear that he was thinking a step ahead of even guys on his own team. Like he, he just had a, a very standout performance to me. I think the best thing 
that you can say about Andrew Nemhard to understand what his impact was at summer league is what happened when he was no longer playing (laughs) and how much more of a struggle the offense was and how you could tell that they just didn't, they had no downhill initiation. Like again, shots at all. Like at all. Jarris did some nice things, but it wasn't like get two feet in the paint, spray it out. Like Andrew is, has so what I said earlier about Ben and getting velocity on the ball, like something that stand out from for him for a long time is that when he rejects screens, he normally does it when the screener is on his right and he puts the ball down on the floor with his left and he gets so much velocity on the ball when he throws a dart with his left hand. And that showed up early last year in preseason where you could kind of tell a difference where he wasn't as effective with his right. And now he's just as effective with both. Like he gets the ball there and normally the ball is right in the shooting pocket. Like if there was a way for second spectrum to track shooting pocket accuracy of passes, Andrew Nemhard would rank very high on that metric. He made passes, you know, getting into the paint and throwing it back to Isaiah Jackson to crash going to the rim. Like he probably had a few more turnovers than you would like. And some of those came from travels where like what I just said, using a foot fake to reject a screen, he got caught there. He traveled a couple other times, but like it wasn't any turnovers that you were concerned about his actual run of the offense and, and how under control he was. And then defensively, he just had so many, I felt really impressive plays where you're literally hearing Jim Boylan from the sidelines saying, good, good defense, good defense, Drew. Like you could hear that through the broadcast so many times throughout both games, including, uh, you know, the you, Pacers. You, oh, trust me in the gym. You can hear Jim Boylan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I wrote my whole piece the way that I did about what you could hear from the sidelines. Cause some of it was really telling about changes they were making, but like Andrew still looking to get a stop and walling up and using his chest when the Pacers are up 23 points and there's less than two minutes yeah. to play, I think just speaks of what type of player he is as a competitor. Um, and what you said too, about him getting to that spot at the elbow, like Johnny Davis did not have a good rookie season for the Washington wizards, but going into the draft, his number one skill that I talked about whenever we did our coverage on him is how good he is at staying skinny through screens. He was very good at chasing over and Andrew was getting the better of him snaking around getting to that spot. And then the Pacers ran a really creative play. It looks like zoom, but it was from Andrew to be the middleman where he could go off a flare from Ben or use the screen from Isaiah. And they really crushed it with that on sideline on a bound plays that worked really well. So I left feeling very positively about Andrew to the point where like, I don't normally have these types of takes, but if it turns out like Ben has already said, he's going to start next year. That was in an interview when he was with Stephen A. Smith during the finals and if we're assuming that Bruce Brown's going to start because he's making $22.5 million next year, and whichever of Obi Toppin and Jarris is going to start, if that means that Andrew's coming off the bench, Andrew needs to run bench offense next year. Otherwise, I'm going to have the question of what are we doing here? That's where mm-hmm. I'm at. What does that mean for one veteran guard, TJ McConnell? We will see. Andrew that needs is- to play. I agree that he... Yeah, and... and- and he needs to be getting ball screens. Yeah. Yes. Whether it's initial or second side, he needs to be playing out of ball screens. I agree with that. And I have questions about the implementation of it, given that their best player also should have the ball a lot and be doing lots of that stuff. See, that um, almost makes me like it more. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's contrarian. But like when you think of things that are going to complement Tyrese and you look down the road of when this team is eventually in a playoff series and if teams are face guarding or trapping Tyrese – is it gonna is it gonna matter to you if you have somebody on the weak side that you can throw the ball to to run secondary pick and roll action? I think it's going to. Yeah. And is it gonna well, matter that you have somebody that can defend the way Andrew can around Tyrese? I, I think it's going to. Well, we talked about this in our season reviews. Like one of the things that I felt like this team needed more than maybe anyone else is 
like another guy who can create a little and shoot a little because Tyrese was the only guy who could do both. Well, maybe the answer is not that they need to add somebody. Maybe the answer is <laughs> Andrew Demhard, who's already on the team. He did not shoot well in summer league, to be clear. Yeah, he just looked fantastic. This is the best compliment I can give him in a way that will embarrass myself a little bit. Like, I try to not look at box scores during games anymore, mm-hmm. and I did not know he had eight turnovers in that first game. That is the compliment I can give him about having eight turnovers. I didn't even think it was close to that high after that game, yeah. and I think that you just know that, that some of those are travels and things like that. Yeah, he, like, I, I'm kind of out of stuff to say because you covered it all, but I, it's like it was obvious that he was better than everybody else on the floor. Just he could get wherever he wanted. He could stop whoever he was guarding, and he made everything easier on his teammates. Like that's exactly what you want a, a great point guard to do in summer league play. Yeah, I know. I left feeling very positively about him. I think he had a good two games. Agreed. We'll see what that means for him during the season. It's no surprise that we're doing this uh, three or four days after McConnell's name has finally hit the. Uh, the rumor mill, but isn't uh, it isn't it strange that we just talked to because you know summer league's all meaningful. Two games in summer league <laughs> means everything, but like we just talked about the two rookies from last year, one who probably played a little bit lower to expectations, probably getting a bigger role next year, and the one that over exceeded expectations might be getting a smaller one as his reward. We'll see. It's just it's it. I haven't done the full exercise yet, but like. You know, you be, you can just write the names down and build the pace rotation in your head. There's just one too many. They're just like backcourt in general. So it's like who who is left out or whose role is going to be smaller than it's perceived that it could be. And so the good news is, is that that coaching staff was very adaptable last year when they yeah. found out that, like, you know, Jalen's not working. They didn't keep sticking with it. They didn't dig their heels in. So I expect that they'll they'll move things around. Yeah, and ha- having depth to be clear is good. Yes. It's a good is a good thing. It's For just sure. it's just if someone's expectation is different than reality or if the asset investment is is not matching what is actually happening on the basketball floor that these questions can get thorny, but that doesn't matter. It's July 17th. Um Isaiah Jackson, Kaylin Cooper, um fouled a lot, but yeah. also the stuff he's good at looked great. The thing, the thing with me for him has always been the same, right? He keeps getting a little bit better at this stuff that he's amazing at, right? Like finishing around the rim, athleticism on defense, crazy dunks. He was a little better as a screener, I guess. But I always want him to explore his game more than he actually ends up doing in these. Like he took that 15-foot jumper in the second game, and I immediately was like, yes, I'm typing this down. Like, please take three more of these before this game ends. He did not. Um, so the stuff he's already awesome at, he did great. He shot 70%. He was greater on the basket. He gobbled up a bajillion rebounds, including off of his own misses. That was one new thing I thought he did pretty well. But at the same time, the fouls number is what it is, and some of that is covering for other people. Some of that is his inability to stay down on first shot attempt and shot fakes. So what did you make of how he played? Because, again, he keeps refining these things that I would already consider strengths for him, but still having some of the same weaknesses he's always had. Yeah, so 14 fouls. That's a lot. You don't really want to average stuff. Oh, and here's eight. the thing, too. Sorry, one more caveat. He had three fouls in the first quarter of the second game and then had none until the fourth. And so for a while in that game, I thought, oh, he's doing a little better. And then he had three in the fourth quarter again. I couldn't get, couldn't do that one anymore. Yeah, and it goes back to like saying that you can hear a lot in echoey gyms. It's a little bit of a downer that you had to hear the coaching staff telling him so often stay down stay down stay down even with what the foul trouble was like I don't really feel like that should be a thing that they should have to keep hammering home um in his third summer league now 
but you know, it is what it is. But I, I do think that he had a really standout moment that I talked about earlier when Ben and Jarris both ended up on ball and he rotated over as the low man. He stopped that shot from happening, rotated back to his own guy, stopped that shot from happening. And then when they reversed it again, contested a shot without fouling and got the rebound. So as a defensive rebounder, he did make some improvements. I think he averaged like eight and a half rebounds, which for the Pacers matters, especially given that he's undersized and what he looked like, you know, when they played Zubots in LA and gave up like a thousand rebounds. So not all those were contested, but that, that was a tiny step forward for him, I think. But I think that that's what it goes back to. Like I still overall see him as somebody who's going to be more successful as a weak side rim protector and Romer, because it's going to protect him from getting in foul trouble. It's going to allow him to use his ground coverage. Like he's going to have to make reads about how far he can stray and get back but I just like him better than being directly involved in pick and roll action. I think he was a little bit better with some of his positioning and drop, but he still wasn't taking great angles. And that's what was leading to some of the fouls on ball handlers. I mean, he did have the really good play where I think it was he and Isaiah Wong used a late switcher of your switch and he blocked a shot at the elbow, which was incredible for him to cover up that much space and that type of coverage. But I agree with you. I think overall, we're still not seeing him do like anything necessarily new. There was one or two spots where we saw him use a two dribble move. And I like what you said too, about how quick he is on his second jump, because he's kind of like his own Kobe assist. Like we talk about Kobe assists where like, just throw it off the glass and Shaq will get it. Like, or John Morant, just throw it off the glass and, you know, Steven Adams will get it. Like Isaiah Jackson, just, you know, you're going to have like a wild shot off your two dribble move, but you can probably get your own miss and then you can just tap it back in, which worked for him a couple of times. But like, He's still, he's so curious and that every time he puts the ball on the floor, like even when he caught it and had to dribble in a transition situation, he always dribbles with his left hand. Always. He's a right-handed shooter. But like if he catches it in the post, he goes out of his way. Like he'll turn into traffic. He'll spin to get to his lefty hook, even when it doesn't completely make sense. And yet he continues to shoot with his right hand. Like that's, that's one of the quirky things about him that is still one of life's greatest pacer mysteries. I think that I don't fully understand, but um, yeah, for him, I, I just, I don't think that we necessarily saw anything new, like, Oh, he's knocking down, you know, mid range shots where he can space or he's taking first space advantage and able to get to the rim and finish over length. That's going to allow him to counter for what, you know, for the sake that he's pretty much a rim roller for the most part, or somebody that you have to put in the dunker spot. And then looking ahead, it's like, what does that mean? Like if you start Obi Toppin and Jarris comes off the bench, similar to what they did with Benedict last year, what does that mean for Jarris's development? Like, I, I think that you, I still, like I said, I still think that you want to see Jarris like running out of delay and using handoffs and being used as a screener more than what we just saw in summer league. And it's going to be hard to do that if he's playing with Isaiah Jackson. Yeah. Also the whole, like, we think he can play the four thing. Not happening. No, <laughs> just, it's not. Given the roster construction, that's just done. Um, yeah, here's so here's what he said at, I forget which summer league practice he spoke at. I want to say their third one. He said, when talking about some of the stuff he's been working on this summer, he said, my main focus this summer was really my jump shot. I feel like I'm getting more comfortable with the pick and roll midi game. And then he said, even with spacing the floor, trail threes, I've been working on that since the day we had exit meetings. I wanted to see a few of those in these games like that would have made me go okay this is a new element of his game that i think can add to his fit with their new look team make him a guy that fits like rick carlisle is very encouraging of threes like that would have been good to see and so that's why it was one jumper and i was like man i wish i saw a few more of those because i get what his strengths are he's better at them 
than he was when he came into the league. Like he's good at those things. If you're six foot eleven or whatever he is, and you're the best jumper on the floor, like there's a place for you in the NBA. But I still want to see a little bit more of the additive stuff to his game, even though in general I thought he had a good summer league. Especially, I think the offensive rebounding and the rebounding in general growth was the biggest thing for me with him. But it's just like I get what he is now, and not seeing a ton of new stuff was kind of just like okay, well, good player still, but. That's I mean, I think it, it's still like the rebounding helps because it goes back to the same question, like, and all the podcasts that we've done when we referred to him, like, <laughs> is he a small ball five or is he a five who is small? And like, still to this point, he's kind of a five who is small. Yep. Um, and they still have stuff to, to determine here. Cause you can't like, to me, you cannot start next season with Daniel Tice, Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson all still on this roster again. Like, I don't, I don't think it helps you balance out the roster. I don't think it's completely fair to all three of them. And you're going to need to make a choice. And I think that so. That choice- I thought they could have. I thought they could have if there was a way for one of them to play the four, which there is absolutely not anymore. Which I just said no. that, but like, there's there's no way when you get top in and draft Jarris and Jordan Wara was good and is still on your team. Like, you just can't. So, yeah, I agree with you. But I also don't know, like, at this stage of the summer, what that looks like anymore. Not that you can't do anything ever again. I don't know. That's a a very different discussion. Sorry, I cut you off. Um. That is everything I wanted to cover on the players. Is there anything else about Summer League you wanted to talk about? I mean, we could talk about the defense as a whole, given that that's kind of the thing that the Pacers need to address and fix. Um, what would, Let me find what Rick's was- quote that he said at uh, halftime of the first game, because I thought that was noteworthy. They were they, What did they give up in the second quarter against the Wizards? Like three points, whatever, a small. Rick said, I liked the defense in the second quarter. Okay. And then he said the big one. We're looking at the defense closely i think that is something that they really wanted to get through and out of this group yeah so i think i titled the piece like i I mean the tweets about like echoey gyms and being able to hear what you could hear from the sidelines so what i learned about the pacers from what i overheard and they did make some pretty key changes and sometimes you know what happens in vegas doesn't stay in vegas the last two years the pacers have run stuff that they took back with them and incorporated with the main team so it could be a case of we thought that this was easier to put together on the fly. It could be a case of this is what we want to try next year. So like last year, they used push coverage or ice coverage on side pick and rolls. And pretty much throughout all of summer league, if the five was involved in those actions, they were squaring up and chasing over. That was a change that indicates to me, perhaps that they're looking at returning miles to defending fives and using him a more conservative drop coverage that they would have used, you know, two or three years ago, more of a return to traditional funneling to the middle of the floor. Um, They were using the veer switches, I think, with a more clear trigger, meaning that you're chasing over and then you're switching after the fact with the guard running the seam in front of the big and the big switching out to the guard if you can't get back in front. Um, Just some little changes like that. And then one that really did stand out to me in terms of what might happen and change next year is that Jarris a few times, I wouldn't say got chastised, but got told when a big was operating in handoff situations and it didn't matter what type of big it was, to pressure him, Jay, steer him, Jay, Jay, you got to get up there. Like they wanted to leave no space on bigs who are being used as ball handlers clear out to the perimeter. And this isn't like in the way that Nate Bjorkren was a little bit hyper aggressive. It was that we want to be able to play up. And then that's when Andrew had a really good play where like, he's chasing the guy who's going to get the handoff. He rejects it, flips his hips really quickly and then gets back in front of the ball. And that's when you could hear like good Andrew, good or whatever. So that is not what the Pacers did last year. Like in the games when Miles defended at the five, like if you go back and watch when they played the Raptors and it was Scotty Barnes, or if it's like Anthony Davis, 
they if that guy had the ball on the perimeter, they left him open, and that was what they were going to be willing to give up because they had to maintain Miles's passive sides at the rim all the time to protect against other mismatches. So that's a pretty big change. If you can play that guy up at the top and you have a secondary rim protector, that's where we go back to. Yeah, they have more versatility now because there might be there might still be some games where we're like, hey, we don't care if Scotty Barnes shoots, we still want to play Miles back. That's what we're willing to give up, and we're going to be really hyper aggressive with the other four guys denying that stuff. But you don't have to be. Like you can make the choice that hey, we don't have to give up that shot to Gary Trent Jr. Just walking into you know an open pull up three because we're playing back off of the handoff, or you know we don't have to do that with LeBron because we're playing back off of Anthony Davis because we don't want to give up a mismatch in the post with Neesmith defending him. So that was my main takeaway. Like the execution was not always perfect. Obviously, what I mentioned earlier about how they were defending Chet Holmgren and the switching with Jarris at the five, like not all of that was executed perfectly, but we now see that there's more things that they can do than what was possible a year ago. This is not going to be their best five at all, but especially given last year's Pacers team, they could throw out credibly and Nemhard Brown, Neesmith, Walker, Turner lineup. It's like, Oh, this is five good defenders <laughs> in their natural position. Like that, when you have that option or have a, a crutch of just credible, talented defenders in every spot, that can be in your rotation and should be every game that that should influence the way you defend a little bit and make you, you know, get guys in their natural spot to succeed the most. And you can tell, like, I think Bruce Brown, they'll talk about his transition a lot, his transition game a lot. And I think that's going to matter a lot for the Pacers, but his point of attack defense is like the thing that made him a perfect fit to me with what they do and what they have. So just seeing how they are going to slightly change their defense now that they have that and aren't going to be as reliant on help and rotations, and they still will be, every team is. But I think that is significant, and you know th- that was their thing. At X interviews, every player said, we've got to get better on defense. We've got to get better on defense. We will. I don't think Obi Toppin's the best defender, but they added defensive talent this summer, and you get the first little inklings in summer league that you know they're putting together a team and a system that makes sense for the now new defensive talent that they have to kind of fit in and do their jobs and not make it so much of our good defenders will cover for our bad defenders can only be a thing that you do so much. So I think you saw the seeds of that being planted in these games. Yeah. Cause I mean, with Jairus, like if you're returning and having miles defending fives and playing, you know, a little bit more conservatively and drop, that's not all that they'll do, but like using him as the low man, I think what we saw of him making emergency rotations and miles, giving Jairus like kind of a shout out and saying that he was impressed by him defensively. That's not really somebody that they had. Like they would get so overwhelmed anytime that they had to have like a guard tagging from that side. Like I, I showed some side-by-side comparisons where it's like, that would have been buddy healed. Like there were games last year where that would be buddy healed rotating over to stop a big rolling to the basket because that's who's in position over there on the weak side. So being able to have Jairus or even Obi top and I mean, Obi's a lot harder to project because the Knicks, did not do near as much switching as the Pacers did last yeah. year. Most of the time the Pacers switch at the four position. I looked and he only switched on like 18% of the ball screens that he defended. And some of it Tom was Thibodeau didn't switch. Yeah, I know what? it's shocking, <laughs> shocking stuff, but yeah, I mean, I agree with what you said about Bruce too. Like when you can find standout possessions of a defender, who's guarding John Morant, who's guarding Zion Williamson, who's guarding Carl Anthony Towns, he's not going to lock up all those guys, but there's not a lot of guys who you're going to find, get a stop against that wide of a spectrum of possession. So that wasn't an option for them really last year so much either. My final thing I want to say on summer league is 
I love games where the result doesn't matter. <laughs> that makes them very fun to watch. Like I, I guess the score does matter because it kind of influences the in-game strategy. But I'm just like, oh, this is nice. Like as long as no one gets hurt, this is fun no matter what. That's my yeah, summer league take. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like when you're doing the pre-draft process and you're just zeroing in on specific guys and seeing, yeah. you know, it's always fun to see guys improve. And I, I always enjoy when people prove me wrong, too. Like, it's always better when players out exceed what we think we're, they're going to be able to do versus, you know, maybe underwhelming. That's true. It's very fun. And I'm looking forward to it next year with uh, Jairus Walker's second summer league if he plays and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Caitlin, thank you for the time. I love talking hoops with you. Where can people find your musings on the Summer Pacers, both the lead-up and the decline from it? Right, so you can still find me at patreon.com slash basketball. She wrote, I have two pieces. I wrote a thing about a play that I liked that they were running between Benedict and Andrew and why I thought that that was kind of like an encapsulation of what both of their summer league experiences were. And then I wrote pretty extensively about the defense showing some before and afters and why I thought some of those tweaks that I just tried to explain in verbal form, maybe not super clearly, if you want to see them also in visual and also some links with audio form, then you can check that out as well. Highly recommend. I learn a lot from everything Caitlin puts out. The rest this week, a little bit of off-season and summer league chatter mixed together. Don't want to miss it. Fun guests coming later in the week. Hope you all had a fantastic day. See you soon.